Well, today we are wrapping up our series called Evidence, where we've taken the last five weeks and we've looked at how does a cold case detective solve murders? And so I introduced you to probably the most famous detective in all America. His name is Jay Warner Wallace, and he's taught us a very, very important principle. Hopefully you're starting to know some of these things, as I keep saying it over and over and over every single week. But he said that you should never, ever, ever trust an eyewitness. Instead, you need to do what? You need to, yeah, you need to test eyewitnesses. And there's four questions that they use to test eyewitness testimony. That's what detectives do. Same thing that a judge gives instructions to jurors of here's how you can determine whether or not this is true or not. There's four questions and we've looked at them. The first one, are they present? Was the person actually there or not? And so we applied that to the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Were they actually present or not? And we presented some pretty compelling evidence to you that, yes, they indeed were there. They weren't these guys like hundreds of years later just pretending to be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This was the actual real guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they write about what happened with Jesus, especially around his resurrection, because that's the most important thing. Was Jesus really resurrected from the dead or not? Because if he was, that has tremendous implications for our lives. I mean, huge implications if Jesus really rose again from the dead, because then we have to take seriously all the things that he said to do. And we have to listen to things like when he said that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have to take those words seriously. Now, just because we prove that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were actually there doesn't mean that they're telling the truth. So we have to ask a second question then. And the second question was, is there any type of corroborating evidence in other words, other evidence that would support what it is that they are writing. And we looked at that, and quite frankly, this was my favorite week of the uh, series that we did. We looked at both the internal evidence, and I'm going to review a little bit of that here in just a little bit. We looked at not only internal, but also the external evidence and cooperation. And we looked at actually there's five guys that were writing during the time of Jesus that were extreme critics of Christianity. They didn't want Christianity to be true. They hated Jesus, but yet what these five guys write actually helps to corroborate the Gospels and corroborate some of the key details of the resurrection itself. Still doesn't make it true. Just because they are there and just because it can be corroborated, we have to then look at the third question. And that was, has the story stayed consistent as time has gone on? In other words, has it changed? We talked about the telephone game. Remember the telephone game that, you know, as you keep telling the story over and over and over again, it just gets wilder and wilder and wilder, and it doesn't even resemble the original story? Well, that's what skeptics and atheists, they would say about Christianity, is that Jesus, he was this, like, good guy. He was a moral guy. Eventually, he gets executed by the, the Romans. But they say that as the generations went on, what happened was people started to add extra details to the story, things like that Jesus could do miracles. And then as the generations went on that, oh, Jesus claimed to be God. And as the generations continue to go on that, oh, he raised again from the dead. And so they think that that's what it is. But what Detective Wallace taught us was a very, very important thing called the chain of custody. How do you know that the same thing that started at the crime scene is the same thing that ends up in the courtroom? Was it even at the crime scene? How do you know that some lying detective didn't just plant the evidence? And so we had to look at that same thing with the Gospels. Is there actual evidence that shows that what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote is the same thing that ended up at 363 AD at the Council of Laodicea when they authorized what we would call the B-I-B-L-E? What we saw is there is a chain of custody. 
that we can see generation after generation that the writings remained the same. And then last week we looked at, was there bias? Were the disciples biased in any way? Did they have any type of ulterior motive? You know, was, was there benefit to making up a story about Jesus being resurrected? What we discovered with that is actually their lives got worse. They got arrested, they got beaten, they got whipped. Most of them end up being martyred. You're not going to tell a lie and die for it if you know that it's, it's a lie. I mean, people die for lies all the time, but you will not die for something you know is a lie. But yet these guys, and not just the disciples, but then other people as well, they are dying for this, this message that they're preaching, that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. Now, if you missed any of the messages throughout the series, because again, this is week six of the series, if you've missed any of them, I'd encourage you to go to our website, exponential.church, or you can go to our Facebook page, you can go to our YouTube channel, check it out investigate this all for yourself because the evidence is just so, so compelling. But today as we wrap up the series, what I want to do is I want to expand it just a little bit further because we've made the case that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are true. They're reliable historical accounts of history. But what about the other 22 books of the New Testament? Or what about the 39 books of the Old Testament? You know, the Jewish scriptures. What, what about those? Can we have that same type of evidence as we had for the others? And so that's what I want to look at with you here uh, today as we wrap up the series. And I'll begin with this. They're going to put it on the uh, screen for you here. Tesla is an electric vehicle manufacturer headquartered in Silicon Valley, California. It was incorporated in January 1999 by Elon Musk. The company's name is a tribute to Musk's oldest daughter, Elsa, with a T added to the front for creative branding. Sounds good, right? It's history. The problem is, that's all a lie. I mean, there's a couple details in there that are true. There is such a company called uh, Telsa, right? But most of that is, is a lie there. They're actually not headquartered in California. They're headquartered in Texas. And they didn't start in, in 99. They actually started in uh, July of 2003. And they weren't founded by Elon Musk. He later bought the company from the guys who founded it. Their names are uh, Martin Eberhard and Mark Temp, uh, Tarpening. And obviously, if then Elon Musk didn't start the company, that means that it isn't named after his daughter, Elsa. Now, he has a lot of kids. If you follow the news, he has a lot of kids. But he doesn't have a daughter named Elsa. Actually, uh, Tesla is named after the famous uh, engineer, uh, Nikolai Tesla. My point is simply this. Anytime you see something written that is claiming to be history, like I was claiming that that was history, anytime you see something like that, you have to check it. Is it real names? Is it real dates? Is it real locations or not? See, these things are important for you to check out. And it's the same thing here as we start to evaluate. Are the biblical authors real or not? Are they writing real history or not? Can we trust the Bible or not? And so I've got 
couple points I want to make for you here today, and that is, the first one is this, that the historical accuracy of the biblical authors is profound. It's absolutely profound. Now, we touched on this throughout the series as we, as we looked at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that you can go back and you can look at the names, the places, the dates, the, the people, the rulers, the rivers, the mountains. I mean, they're all listed there. And that's what we have in the entirety. Remember, there are 66 uh, different books here in the Bible written by 40 different authors over a 1,500-year time span, written in three different languages on three different continents. But yet what we have is one unified story that culminates then with the resurrection of Jesus and the movement that he started. We're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of details in here. Names, places, events, rulers, rivers, mountains, countries, cities, coins. Just in the book of Acts alone, Luke, he mentions 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine different islands. Now, this was truly a book of fairy tales like the atheists and skeptics would have you to believe. You would think that with that many authors over that long of a time period, that somewhere somebody would have gotten the history tremendously wrong. Like my, my statement I put on the screen for you. Just, you would think that there would have been just even a couple little details that would have been off. But yet, as we go through page after page after page of Scripture here, what we see is that there is not even one instance of gross historical inaccuracy. And I want you to think about it. This book covers more history than any other book that's out there. But yet, as we talked about in the, the week that we talked about cooperation, in here, we find that the authors get it right over and over and over with the names, the correct rulers, the correct villages, the correct customs, the correct phrases and words and traditions. I mean, the, the, the accuracy is just simply profound. Now, let's compare that to a, another supposed book of religion, the Book of Mormon. Joseph Smith, who was the, the founder of, of Mormonism, he has this claim that in 1830, God gave him a vision of what happened in the Americas between the years of 600 B.C. and 421 A.D. And so supposedly, the Book of Mormon is covering about a thousand years of history. In it, he writes about groups of people like the Nephites. He talks about various cities and coins that were used. Here's the problem as you go through the Book of Mormon. It reads like the statement that I gave you from Tesla. National Geographic did an article a couple years ago, and they said that between archaeologists and scholars, not one single instance of something that he wrote about has ever been found from history. The Nephites, no sign that any of those people existed. The cities that he talks about, no sign that any of them existed. The coins, the rulers, all the people, all the places. There's no sign in the Book of Mormon that any of it actually existed. Compare that, though, to the Bible. 25,000 different artifacts have been dug up that support the names, the people, the places, the rulers, the coins, all the different things that are listed throughout the 66 books of Scripture here. 
archaeologist Nelson Gluck, he wrote that not one piece of artifact that has ever been dug up by archaeologists has ever contradicted what the Word of God says. Again, 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages. Every single one of them gets all the details exactly correct. Here's my question to you. Do you think they just got lucky? Thousands and thousands and thousands of details. Do you think they just kept getting lucky over and over and over again? Or is it what the Apostle Paul said to his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is inspired by what? All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now, this historical accuracy doesn't mean that the Bible is true, but it is one factor that we need to take into consideration. So let's look at another factor. Number two on your outline, the textual accuracy is nearly perfect. I shared this with you early in the series. There is more copies of Scripture closer to the original dates that we have to this day than any other ancient document. Let me review just one of them that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Remember Plato? Plato wrote his histories in 400 B.C., but yet the closest copy that we have to this day isn't until 980. That means there's a 1,300-year gap between what Plato wrote and what we now have a copy of today. There is nobody in the world that would say that Plato was just making it all up, his histories. That it was just the telephone game that happened throughout the years. A 1,300-year gap between the original autograph and the manuscripts that we have. And everybody says, yeah, that's absolutely true. And here's the deal. We only have seven copies to this day of Plato's work. Compare that, though, to Scripture. Talked about this a couple weeks ago. We have a fragment of the Gospel of John that dates to 114 A.D., He wrote his gospel in 90 AD. So we have an actual fragment of his gospel from only 24 years after he originally wrote it. We have complete books of the New Testament within 100 years after they were written. All of the New Testament, we have copies to this day by 225 AD. And we have the entirety of the Bible, copies of it from the 4th century. And keep in mind something else I shared. We don't have just seven copies like we have of Plato or just like a thousand copies like we have of the the works of Homer. No, we have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of copies of Scripture. Just in the Greek and the Hebrew, if I remember right, what was it, about 8,000 or so? When you add in all the languages, we have over 25,000 copies of the ancient manuscripts. And remember, we can take and compare those. And they are 99.5% similar. The places where they differ are minor spelling mistakes. Uh, Words like and that are put in instead of two sentences, uh, an and is put in to make it a a longer phrase. There's things like somebody who have, have, have copied it as, we are saved by Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And somebody else will say, we're saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, does that cause you to go, oh no, which one is it? Are we saved by Jesus Christ, our Lord, or are we saved by the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't know. No. So all the differences are so, so minor. Now, let me do a little disclaimer, because I haven't mentioned this so far in the series. You do need to know this. If you open up your scriptures today, in your, your Bible, whether you have a physical copy or you're online, you're going to see that there's a little footnote by John 7, 53 through 8, 11, and Mark 16, verses 9 to 20, that are going to tell you that these words do not appear in the earliest manuscripts. In other words, what we have today that we still read to this day, there has since been earlier manuscripts that have been found, and in the earliest manuscripts, those portions of Scripture actually aren't there. But as you go through those two portions of Scripture, what you'll notice is it doesn't change our faith at all. Now, one of them, you're going to be like, oh, man, I really like that story. And it's Jesus with the woman who's caught in adultery, and he gets down in the sand, and he's sort of writing with his finger and stuff. That's not in the earliest manuscripts. Now, does that mean that it didn't actually happen? We don't know. It might have. I mean, there's some other evidence that can point that, yes, maybe that actually did happen. But we don't know if it did or not, because, again, it's not in those earliest manuscripts. But, again, even if you took that story out of the New Testament, does that change your faith at all? No has nothing to do with whether Jesus was really resurrected or not. All right, so the historical accuracy, it's profound. The textual accuracy is nearly perfect. Number three, then, the scientific accuracy is surprising. Now, I phrase that that way because you'll hear a lot of people that say that faith and science are incompatible. You either have to have faith or you have to trust in the science. How many heard that phrase before? Those of you that are watching online, you ever heard that before? You got to trust the science. Or people say, well, the science says, and here's what I want to teach you is a little phrase. The science doesn't say anything. They say that again. Science does not say anything. Scientists say things, but science doesn't say anything. Does that make sense? Science doesn't say anything. Scientists say things. And this is one of my pet peeves, not about scientists, about us as Christians. Because we make the same mistake that the people in the world do when they say, well, the science says. We do the same thing as Christians because we say, well, the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say anything. Matthew said some things. Mark said some things. Luke said some things. John said some things. Paul said some things. Old Testament, Moses said some things. Solomon said some things. David said some things. Forty different people, they said a lot of things. The Bible does not say anything, and it's important that you change that vocabulary and the way you phrase that in your own life, because as soon as you say, well, the Bible says, people are also going to tell you other things that the Bible says. And so you've got to be very, very careful of how you phrase this. This whole series has been about, you know, how do you talk to people? that say, well, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe that Jesus was really resurrected from the dead like the Gospels say. Well, the Gospels don't say anything. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all said some things. And this whole series has been about is either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Remember, it doesn't even have to be all of them. It's either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, a reliable historical account of what happened in the day of Jesus. Was he really resurrected from the dead or not? And so it's unfair for skeptics of Christianity to say, well, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe that the Bible is true. What they have to convince you is, Here's why I believe that Matthew was lying. Here's why I believe that Mark was lying. Why I believe that Luke was lying. Why I believe that John was lying. Why I believe that the other people that were claiming to be eyewitnesses, like James, the brother of Jesus, Peter, uh, Paul, why I believe that all of them are lying. They have to make a case that all those guys were lying. It's easy for them to refute you when they just say, well, the Bible, you know, I don't believe the Bible. Because again, they're going to tell you a lot of other things in the Bible that you may not have an answer for. And so it's the same way here. In the same way that the Bible doesn't say anything, people wrote things. Science doesn't say anything, scientists do. And here's what you often find with scientists, and that is that they disagree with one another. If you don't believe me, think about our last couple years. Think about COVID, right? There were good, good scientists Doctors, major PhDs, you know, that they had multiple degrees, that they couldn't agree on things. The origin of COVID, how to prevent COVID, how to treat COVID. Science doesn't say anything. Scientists said a lot of things. And here's what else you need to know about science. Science is constantly changing. Again, think of COVID. What we know about COVID today, as compared to almost three years ago now, is way different. That didn't make anybody bad back in 2020. Nobody knew what to do. And so they're doing experiments, and they're, they're testing things, and they're trying all kinds of things, trying to figure it all out. Some scientists would say this, some scientists would say that. Well, there's a lot of things that now, three years later, after more research has been done, that we now know. I mean, as I, I look around the room, many of you, it's been a couple years since you've been in high school, right? The, the science books that you had in school are wildly outdated. Why? Because more experiments have been done. More research, more discoveries have been made. Now, I bring all that up because if a textbook from just a, a couple years ago, or for some of you, a couple years ago, is wildly outdated, what chance does the Bible have that's written thousands of years ago of being scientifically accurate? I mean, you would think there's no possible way, but this is why it's so surprising. Let me give you a couple of examples. You know, for many, many, many years, people thought that the earth was flat. If you didn't believe that the earth was flat, you were told you're crazy. Trust the science. Now, there were some theories that maybe it wasn't, but it wasn't until 1609 that Galileo proved that the earth is actually a sphere. So all the leading smartest people in the world were all saying the earth is flat. But look at what the prophet Isaiah wrote 2,300 years before Galileo proved that the earth is a sphere. Look at Isaiah 40, 22. 
He writes, God rules from above the what? The sphere of the earth. How could he get that right? Well, remember what Paul said to Timothy? All Scripture is inspired by God. What we need to understand is that the 40 different authors of Scripture, they still had their own unique personalities and writing styles and everything, but what they were writing, it was inspired by God's Spirit in what to write. And so how can you get a scientific detail like that correct? It's because God inspired you with the correct science to get it correct. Here's another one. Ancient cultures and religions thought that the earth was being held up by something. How many of you ever seen the, the famous thing from the Greeks, right, with Atlas? And what is Atlas carrying on his back? What's he got? He's got the earth, right? Other religions and, and other peoples, they thought the same type of thing. The Hindus, they believe that the earth is uh, being held up by an elephant standing on the back of their god Vishnu, who is reincarnated in as a turtle. Okay, so can you picture this? Their god is a turtle. On the back of the turtle is an elephant. And on top of the elephant is the earth. That's how they believe that the earth is being held up. The Egyptians believe that the earth was being held up by one of their gods. But then we have Moses who writes the creation account about God created the heavens and the earth. And he mentions nothing about the earth being held up by anything. And in fact, Job, 3,400 years ago, wrote these words. Job 26, 7. God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on what? On nothing. All right, let me give you one more. And this is my favorite one. Let me talk to the guys here for a second. Guys, let's talk about circumcision. Now, for those of you here watching online and you're not quite sure what is this circumcision that you speak of, Gilbert, our worship pastor Bill said he'd love to talk to you about it as soon as our experience is over, okay? Uh, but anyway, uh, thank you, Bill, for volunteering. But anyway, circumcision, guys, for you to know what it is. Imagine thousands of years ago being circumcised. There is no hospitals, no clean rooms. There's no painkillers. There's no, like, creams, you know, that you can help to prevent infections and, and, you know, stuff like that. So this is, you know, talk about faith. You know, back then, you're just hoping that the, uh, the surgeon, he has a, a pretty steady hand, basically, okay? But look at what Moses writes in Genesis 17, 12. Again, he's speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he writes, from generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the what? On the eighth day after his birth. Why the eighth day? Why not get it out of the way, right? Day one, you know, little baby boy is born, get it over with. Or, you know, why not day 15? For crying out loud, let the little fella have 100 days on the earth, right? Before you start messing with his parts, right? You know, give him 100 free days of pain and then circumcise him. Why, why eight? Well, it's a scientific thing. God knows science better than we do. 
Did you know that when you get a cut on your body anywhere, that your body produces a protein that's called prothrombin? And what prothrombin does is it's what helps your, your, uh, uh, the cut to start to clot. And it helps in the clotting process then to uh, reduce infection. So prothrombin is produced anytime you have a cut. Now, back in, let me look up the exact year here, 19, it was in the 1930s. A discovery was made by the scientists when it comes to this prothrombin. In a male's body, guess what day of his life he produces more prothrombin than any other day in his life? Yeah, I mean, this is easy, right? It's day eight. It's amazing. Day eight, he has his highest level. Every single day after that, it decreases. How could Moses know to write that, that it's on the eighth day that these boys need to be circumcised unless God, who knows science and our bodies better than we ever will, unless God was the one who directed him in what to write. All right, let's move on. Number four. The prophetical accuracy is statistically amazing. It's amazing. Now, I've talked about this before with you. When it comes to prophecy in the Old Testament, there are 333 specific prophecies about Jesus. What's the number? It's easy to remember. Just like my birthday. Remember how we remember how many commandments in the Old Testament? 613. My birthday, 613. Uh, how, how, many, how many prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament? 333. Very, very easy to remember. 333. Things like where he would be born, how he would be born, how he would die, how many pieces of silver he would be betrayed by. I mean, specific things like that. 333. Now, keep in mind, the Old Testament, the, the Jewish scriptures were completed and being translated into other languages 400 years before Jesus' birth. So it isn't possible that like people later on changed it, you know, and, and made Jesus fit into the narrative. No, we already had the documents 400 years before the time of Jesus. But yet there's 333 specific prophecies. The odds of just eight prophecies coming true. Let's say that like I made a prediction about your great 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 grandchild 400 years from now. I don't know if that even works out with the math I just did, but okay. And I said here's eight things about them. Specific. The odds of getting eight is one in ten to the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros behind it. That number is just too big for our minds to comprehend. So there's an illustration for this. And again, I've shared this with you before. But to understand 1 in 10 to the 17th power, you would have to cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. And on one of those silver dollars, somebody's marked it with a red X. And then somehow we have a system that we can like mix all of them up. You know, two feet deep, all over Texas, we're mixing them all up. Then I take you to Texas, we put a blindfold on you, we put you in a helicopter, tell a pilot to take off, and you just start to have them fly all over the state of Texas. At any time you tell them, okay, now land this helicopter. 
You get out of the helicopter, again, you're blindfolded, you're walking around. At any time, you can stop walking and you can reach down, you can take a coin off the top or you can reach down as deep as you want. If you pulled out the coin that had the red X on it, that is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's just eight predictions coming true. Let's increase that number up to 13, just adding five more. Now we don't cover the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. We cover the entire world with silver dollars, and it's from the earth to the moon deep. And again, somehow we can mix all that up. Now we got to put you on the space shuttle, I guess. And you fly around at any time. You can, like, bore down in, I guess. <laughs> and you pick out a silver dollar if it has the red X on it. That's 13 predictions coming true. Notice how just going from 8 to 13, how the number increased, shall we say, exponentially. That was just adding 5. But how many predictions about Jesus are there? Not 8, not 13, but 333. You saw what happened when we went from 8 to to 13. Can you imagine what it is from 13 to 333? What the odds are? Mathematicians actually say it is statistically impossible. In fact, when they tried to calculate what the odds are, it would be one chance in more than there are atoms in the entire universe. Now, what you have to ask yourself is this. Did the authors of the New Testament, did they just keep getting lucky over and over and over and over and over again? Getting every single prediction right and not even one of them wrong? Or did God inspire them in what to write? Now you want to talk about faith. Which does it take more faith to have? That God inspired them in these 333? or that they just got lucky one time and more than there are atoms in the entire universe. So when you're talking to an atheist and they're like, I don't have faith. Oh, buddy, do you have faith? It's just, are you putting your faith into things that are factual? Things that are even possible? Or are you just trying to do your own thing? and live your own life. Again, for me, I put my faith in the Word of God that the authors were all inspired by God in what to write. And that's how we can know that the Bible is true. Now, there is one last thing that I want to talk to you about. Number five there on your outline. And that is the amount of lives that has changed is inspiring. Now, I'll be completely honest with you. This one is subjective, right? Because there's a lot of other people of other faiths that would say, oh, well, it's changed my life. And so that's why throughout this series, I've taken six weeks with you now just to look at the facts. But I'd be remiss if at the end of the series here, we didn't talk about over the thousands of years now since Jesus' resurrection, billions and billions of people who would say, you know what, here's what my life used to be like. Then I came into a relationship with Jesus, and now here's who I am today. 
that something happened in my life has changed. We can go all the way back to the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, murdering Christians, but then he has this encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and it changed his life. To today, drug addicts being set free, marriages being restored, people who had no hope finding purpose in their life. There's all kinds of stories of life change. In fact, there's somebody with us today. I'm going to recognize him. Mike, our campus uh, a leader down at our Hagerstown campus in Maryland. He's here. Mike, actually, could you stand up and just sort of give the prom queen wave there for people that don't know you? Uh, those of you online, uh, yeah, you'll just have to trust that he's here. But I, uh, yeah, Mike, who leads up our, our campus down in Hagerstown, Maryland, he's here today. He will tell you that, you know what, over the last couple years, I've gotten so close to Jesus that I can't even explain it. Something has changed in my life in a major way. And I'd encourage you, for those of you that are live today, talk to him, ask him his story out in the lobby afterwards. Amazing what happens when Jesus gets involved. So the stories of life change is inspiring. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on of people who say, here's who I used to be, then I met Jesus, here's who I am now. And maybe that's where you are today. Those of you that are tuning in or watching it sometime in the future, maybe that's where you're at. You're like, Man, I need life change. I need something different in my life. I'm tired of being the old way. I'm tired of, of living in the shame of the past, the guilt of the past. And a lot of times you hear pastors go, well, just put your faith in Jesus. And that's what I'm going to encourage you to do today is put your faith in Jesus. But what these past six weeks have been about is that we don't have a blind faith as Christians. We can put our faith into facts. And we've looked at those facts over these past six weeks. Was either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable historical account of the life and times of Jesus, especially concerning his resurrection? And we saw that, yes, they were present. Yes, their stories can be corroborated. Yes, their story has stayed consistent as the years have gone on. And yes, they were free of bias and ulterior motives. So I'm going to encourage you again here and those of you online, put your faith in Jesus. Because the facts are overwhelming. I've shared this with you throughout the series. You're like the jury of this whole series. I've presented the case to you, but ultimately you're the one that has to decide. What are you going to do? Is the Bible just a book of fairy tales? Or is it a reliable historical account of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and then his resurrection? If you've been swayed that, yes, it's a reliable historical account, that's got to change your life. Now you can't live your life for yourself anymore. Now you've got to read through those gospel accounts where we see those words of Jesus because if he really was raised from the dead, he really is God. And we need to listen to what he says. And so when he gives us commands, we obey those commands. He says to do something, you do it. If he says not to do something, you don't do it. Not just simply because you have faith in, oh, I hope this happened, but because you have faith in the facts that have been presented to you over this series. 
Let's pray. Father, uh, today as we wrap up this series, we are thankful that we can go back and, and look at the facts. And Lord, I, I realize that there are many people that are here watching online that this has just been a refresher for them, or hopefully it's been a, a strengthener for their faith. But Lord, I know there are also some people that they've never began a relationship with you, or they were getting ready to walk away from a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that now they've seen, oh my goodness, the case for Jesus is so overwhelming that he really did rise again from the dead. And so I'm going to put my faith and hope and trust in him. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed here in this room, if you have never, ever prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you've never asked him to come in and be the leader of your life, to take control of your life, and you're ready to say, you know what, I'm, I'm giving my whole life to you because I believe you truly did rise again from the dead. If that's true of you, could you just put your hand up so I can see it, and then you can put it right back down. Anybody here today that's saying, yes, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I'm tired of the past. I need a brand new life. I need a fresh start. Those of you that are online, if, if you're praying that prayer right now, there's a little button that's popping up there in the chat that just says that you're doing that, and you can just push that button, and we're going to celebrate your new life uh, with you. Lord, I pray for every single person, whether here in this room or watching online, uh, there may be some that are, aren't quite yet ready to make that decision. And, and Lord, that's fine. Help them not to delay in that because none of us know the day or the hour that death is coming for us. But, but Lord, I pray that they would go back and review these messages and they would do their own investigation for themselves and make a decision once and for all. Am I going to follow Jesus or not? And Lord, like the old song said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Lord, once we have made that decision, help us to be all in, to give all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to you, and to listen to your word, not just for our lives, but what it is that you'd have us to do to bless others, to truly love our neighbors as we love ourselves, how we can be on mission with you to make a difference with this one and only life that you've given us. So Lord, strengthen us. Help us to be your hands and your feet to a lost and hurting world. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.